Hello everyone, welcome to Mouth Off. This is the official podcast of heyyouguys.co.uk. My name is John Lias and as usual we have Craig Skinner and Brendan Connolly to take apart the week's film news and reviews. So, we have three films that we're going to be talking about today. Um, they're kind of an eclectic mix, which is just how we like it. Uh, we're going to be looking at Please Give, Trash Humpers and Hiero. We're each going, to, each going to take one of those. I think we should start off with Trash Humpers. Now Craig, this is one that you have seen quite a while ago, I believe. Yeah, it's quite a long time ago. Um, I saw it at the London Film Festival um, in October last year. Okay, well, that's. I mean, and it's just. I think it's recently come out. I think it was uh, released either this week or last week. I think, um, and I would have thought kind of a limited release. But um, tell us a bit about uh, the film first of all, and then kind of just uh, go straight into your into your review of it. Well, it's. <clears throat> I said in my review on the site that it's not strictly a film in some sense um, I think Harmony Korine kind of conceived it as a found object rather than necessarily a film um, that it's kind of this battered VHS that you find in someone's bin and, uh, or on the side of the street and you're kind of intrigued as to what it is and you put it in and then you're ultimately very disturbed by what you see um, I think that's the kind of central conceit of the film and that these main characters in it are uh, are actually trash humpers. They hump trash and they smash stuff up and they just hang around and do quite disturbing things. Um, and I think the the main kind of conceit that this is like a found object is, is a brilliant one. I really love that idea. Um, I think, unfortunately, Harmony Cream didn't go quite far enough with it um, because I think that's it, it's just such a cool idea. I remember there was a... Uh, I think it's John Farhey, there's an old story about him, the folk guitarist, that he used to hide records under aliases that he'd recorded in record shops, hoping that someone would discover them and think they found this this new artist, and actually it's him. Um, but he actually went to the extent of actually hiding them in record stores, which I just think is an amazing idea. And uh, Harmony Crean, I think he could have played not necessarily the marketing angle but the release angle with this film a lot better and actually gone the whole hog and only put it out on VHS maybe just put it in charity shops everywhere um, but I think he wanted to put his stamp on the film and actually release it as his um, and yeah I mean it, it's a twisted weird film and I think the thing that struck me at the end of it though was it did leave some emotional resonance with me which despite its kind of silly aspects and the, the kind of funnier dafter parts of it actually it had some sort of resonance to it and I actually felt a bit of impact from watching the film which is it's actually quite impressive I think for Kareem who's I don't know maybe more of a troublemaker than a filmmaker a lot of the time. Okay so tell me about I mean I've seen the posters and I've seen some of the images that have come out and frankly I'm disturbed already uh, what, is, is there much of a story in, in, involved in this or is it kind of just like 18 minutes of people doing weird stuff um there is a very loose i wouldn't go so far as to say there's a story uh i'd say there's a loose narrative that that goes through but i mean it goes from a to b in a way but all the way through it's just a lot of seemingly random scenes edited together I, i think he cut it on vhs uh two vhs decks and just randomly 
uh, put the bits together. Obviously not randomly, I'm sure he decided uh, which will go next to each other, but there's a certain random element to okay. it. Okay. Um, looking at, uh, at what I can see at the moment, the various different... Um, I've, I've seen a trailer for it and I've seen you know, a couple of reviews that have been online. People seem to love it because it's, um, because it's kind of unique. Not many people have done things like this before. Um, I'm kind of intrigued, if, uh, if not slightly ambivalent about the whole thing. I know that um, people who have seen it have said that it's, it, it's an interesting, almost experimental take on... Uh, I don't even know what kind of genre it would be, but um, that's kind of where people would, would kind of get the most out of it because it's something that they've never seen before. Um, there's, there's virtually no way that I'm, I'm, I'm going to go and see this in the cinema. I think I might try and catch it on... On DVD, but Brendan, what about you? Are, are, are you a fan of Harmony Karina? Right, you ready? This is your round of the week, isn't it? Well, right, this is the ready? first round of the week. Okay, okay go let's just take what Craig said apart. Sorry, Craig, but I'm just going to rip a few holes in what you said. <laughs> now, let's just be honest, we've had to stop the recording and start again because last time I was shaking my laptop around and the noise wasn't clear enough to hear. And why was I angry? Because I was talking about trash hampers. And what was I saying? We're saying that it doesn't even live up to its own conceit. If the central conceit is that this is a found object, some sort of VHS found in a trash bag in a ditch somewhere, and for Christ's sake, cream, put it in a trash bag and put it in a ditch. Do us all a favour. Because that, that follows through. That experience of finding something inexplicable and alien like that, putting it in machine, oh my God, who's done this? Who's made this? That's the question. That's where the effect comes from. But how many creams to simulate that? No, how many creams have done this for, 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 you know, it's just it's a simulacrum of that effect and it's a shallow simulacrum of that effect. What, what's ended up is it's been pushed out on, you know, on a wide release in cinemas where people can see it and, and, and continue to worship at the, at the you know, effectively, personality cult of Harmony Kareem. He's a brand name now. People have an expectation for what he does. All of these films are effectively furthering some sort of, like, image for the man. And it's not an interesting one. It's not an illuminating one. Um, you know, it's underscored in this film by the fact that not only has he written it and, quotes, edited it, which is... It's not at all, I mean, Craig undermined his own point about it being random by saying it was random, but then it was actually done by choice, but there must be randomness in it. Well, it can't be both, can it? Um, uh, Kareen has, you know, he put himself, he's in the film. He's actually in the film, too. Um, I, I, I think he's a terrible, terrible filmmaker. He has absolutely no understanding of the reflexes that come into play when people respond to a film. He depends depends upon sort of quasi-intellectual, pseudo-philosophical readings of his films that are passed around like old pennies between pretentious old kits, basically. I, I, I absolutely have no tolerance, no tolerance for this big circle jerk that this film is just one link in. It's just, it's just a, ch- it's a chain in absolutely pointless indulgence, contributes nothing, adds to no debate. Let me go to Sight and Sound a second, hang on. You're quoting Sight and Sound. I want to read to you from Sight and Sound, okay? <clears throat> the idea of white trash humping trash cans is brilliant, creating an inbred circuit, further sealed in by the humpers filming their own destructive shenanigans, drawing the viewer deeper into their charmless circle than you'd care to go. That's bad enough, listen to the next bit. We're accustomed to Kareem's fragmented, drifting way with narrative. What, he can't tell a story? But here, the unfathomable randomness of the scrambled vignettes make them feel like they're edited by iPod Shuffle. Oh dear. As if we're tracking the movement <laughs> of inscrutable alien life forms. This is the culture that propagates films and filmmaking like this. Okay? It's art, sure it is. Everything's art. If I went out in the street and I peed in a straight line up the middle of the grass, that's art. Okay? <laughs> but it's bad art. With nothing say to say. Something. Say something to me. 
have a point of view, be true to your conceit if you must have a conceit, have the courage of your own convictions, don't just fanny about trying to shock people, well, hand me down worn out, flat out, off the peg crapisms like his films are absolutely stuffed to the gills with. Anyway. <laughs> I think... I think one thing, Brendan, I think when I said about the randomness and the editing, I mean, I I didn't specifically mean that it was a rant. They were random, more that they appeared random, perhaps, by his editing. Um, and I think... What's I think his... He, I think he made, perhaps, slightly random choices sometimes, but more contrived choices other times. Did it, did it have any effect, though, Craig? Was, was it... But, but, but what do you mean by appeared random? What you mean is that there's actually no meaning to the juxtaposition? What we're saying by randomness is we're saying that there's actually no meaning to the juxtapositions. What happens, it, it, it's, it's something that Scott McCloud explains perfectly in his book, um, Understanding Comics. If I present you an image followed by another image, your brain tries to find the shortest possible route between those two images. And this is actually an exercise I do with my film students. Well, they have to tell me a story by showing me two images that are not two different states of the same action. So it can't be someone pouring a glass of drink and drinking a glass of drink. And one of the great examples that Scott McCloud gave is someone driving a car crying drinking out of a bottle and then the next image is a gravestone right and we project a story upon that agreed mm, yeah, yeah now it's not random what we've done is we've taken the shortest possible line to find a meaningful connection now i've challenged my students sometimes to push it as far as they can and i think probably the one that was pushed the furthest that actually still makes sense it was like um a storyboard frame would be a shot of the inside of someone's door and there are letters coming through the through the letterbox and landing on the mat and then the next shot is like a long shot of suburbia and there's a mushroom cloud erupting in the middle of it, right? Uh, and it's not quite a non-sequitur. And you laugh immediately because you make some sort of, like, absurdist connection between them, but it is nonetheless a connection. Mm. Now, if Green isn't offering us a connection and he's just offering us randomness, to what avail? Is it perhaps I, the effect... I, I mean, I, sorry, Craig, I, I don't know, but I mean, I, 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 because I haven't seen the film, I'm, I'm just trying to sort of play devil's advocate a little bit. Is it the sense that... Um, uh, Karina is, is, is filming these different images if there is no um, narrative to follow and is, if they are just like different scenes is it that you are expected to build um, each scene on each scene and it kind of gets more and more crazy and it gets more and more unpredictable is that the kind of thing he's going for um, I'm not sure he is actually I mean I think there's an element as well where there's kind of almost like vaudevillian vignettes in it and I think sometimes I mean I I'm not sure the ra- the so-called random editing is for an end, and I think that is maybe a failing of the film, but it would be more of a success with, of the film if the conceit worked a bit better. And, I mean, although I like the film, I do think that conceit it fails on it, because, like Brendan says, because it, it's not really a found object. And, I, I mean, I, I really... I did like the film, and um, I think that was in part due to the experience of watching it as much as how it worked... I'm not sure, actually, I fully get why it worked so well for me personally, but it did, and I think um, there are moments where it it failed, and I think there's moments where it succeeded. I think as a whole, it did succeed in some places. I think it's it's too harsh to write the whole film off, but I think there is definitely valid arguments in what Brendan's saying, and I think perhaps critics can take it a little bit too far with their appreciation of Kareem and yeah, I think um, in, in some ways that, so, that, that, that's quite good because people can see, see a lot into it but I guess you can see a lot into absolutely anything but it's good that the kind of, it's, it's kind of being so divisive because hopefully it means that more people actually go and see it so 
Um, mm. uh, probably like to find this on, on Blu-ray and DVD when it comes out, because I think it's, it's come and gone in the cinemas. DVD and VHS. Or VHS, you could be right. Um, that's actually oh, that's nice. Toy Best as well! Uh, well, let's not get into House of the Devil, because I haven't seen it yet, and I want to see it. So, uh, Okay, so that's our, that's our discussion on Trash Humpers. Um, Craig kind of liked it. Brandon... Not so much, but you can make up your own minds. You can see it in uh, in cinemas. Remember, findanyfilm.com. If you want to know if there's a film that's out and it's kind of near you, uh, either online uh, or in the cinemas, then that's a really, really good uh, website to go to. Um, Pick back off then, yeah. <laughs> no, should do that, shouldn't we, I think? Uh, no, I think. <laughs> but seriously, really, really good and uh, big, big, big fans of those, so give us some money. Uh, we're going to move on now to uh, kind of a different film. A very different film, because this is not the kind of thing that you'd see playing in a double bill with Trash Humpers. This is Please Give, which is the latest film by Nicole Holofsener, who is a uh, writer-director whose previous films are uh, things like Friends with Money. I believe she also did a film called uh, Walking and Talking. I believe that's right. I've, I've only seen Friends with Money, so I know that she did Yeah, Walking and Talking and Lovely and Amazing. That's it. I knew that there were, there were two with Ampersands in the middle of them. So Lovely and Amazing and Walking and Talking. This is Please Give. Um, and it is probably the best argument um, to go along with the kind of cliche that's always... Um, uh, attributed to her, which is that she is the female Woody Allen. It's uh, it's Manhattan. It uh, deals with a family. Uh, they're very, very well off. And it's kind of um, uh, just a situation that happens to this family and, the, and they deal with it. And through this situation and how they deal with it, we kind of get to see their neuroses, their, um, their ambitions, their fears, and all the rest of it. So um, it tells the story of uh, Catherine Keener and Oliver Platt. They're a couple who basically, they're like grave robbers, they're like upper-class grave robbers. What they do is, when a person dies in, in Manhattan, they go in and they buy all of the antique furniture off of the um, surviving relatives. And that's kind of how it starts. There's quite a funny scene where uh, Catherine Keener's character, Kate, she goes in, into this terrible, terrible, terrible apartment, and she just basically picks... This, this person's whole life apart and puts a value on it and that's kind of a theme which really really runs through that throughout the whole film uh enter uh rebecca and mary played by rebecca hall and um amanda p and they are sisters whose grandmother lives in the flat next to Catherine keener and oliver platt whose um whose grandmother who is uh, is is dying and she's about to pop off at any time um so there's the kind of uh, you know tension that's um that's uh, that's that's there and um it's uh, Put it this way, if you've seen the trailer, you've probably seen all the funny bits. That's not to say that there isn't more in the film. It's actually quite a um, quite a sweet film that doesn't really go uh, too far when it comes to giving you any answers or kind of giving any, any judgment on what these people do or how they deal with their situations. A couple of the scenes where um, Catherine Keener's character is walking down New York and there's a homeless person and she wants to give... Um, the homeless person 20 quid uh, sorry 20 dollars and the daughter who's with her complains because she doesn't get that kind of money or pocket money um there you know it really really plays a lot on the sort of you know liberal middle class guilt um angle and i think uh, hollis center does really well uh in kind of getting the big laughs early on and then kind of making you feel uh, a bit more about the implications behind that as the film kind of goes on because the big laughs are all at the start and it kind of peters out a little bit and you kind of get more of the dramatic stuff which uh, which, um, which kind of rounds the film off. Um, for me, Rebecca Hall easily is the best character. She's kind of shy and retiring. She doesn't really want to deal with anything at the moment. She's um, 
she doesn't really want to uh, step outside of her comfort zone and through a couple of the uh, events which happen she kind of blossoms a little bit and that's actually really really quite sweet whereas Oliver Platt and Catherine Keener they they basically have a crisis of, uh, of confidence about what they do and their guilt plays very heavily on. There's a quite a nice moment where they, um, they imagine what actually happened to the people who, who died in the apartments that they're ransacking. And there's a couple of nice bits where um, these people appear again um, in, in the present day. Um, in some ways, that, that's a bit obvious because we know that that's what they're feeling, but um, Hollis Center decides to actually put that on screen. So um, it's kind of, you know, being being over the head with a sledgehammer. But um, I have to say, I, I enjoyed it far more than I thought I was going to. There are a couple of uh, plots which don't really go anywhere, but in, in, in some senses, the film is not about wrapping things up in a in like a tiny uh, you know like a tiny box and saying well there you go that that's the answer to this because there is no real answer to it these are just people and these are their lives and they're just living them they go through a few crises here and there and then that's it there's not a huge amount to it but it was um it was funny it was kind of charming um and uh i think i certainly preferred it to friends with money it was actually quite you know quite a uh, quite a sweet little film um uh, let's go to Craig first. Craig, have you have you ever seen anything from this um, from this person from Nicole Holosen at all? No, as far as I know, I haven't seen any of her films actually. Um, I mean, female Woody Allen, I suppose, kind of appeals to me. Uh, I quite liked Rebecca Hall in uh, Vicky Cristina Barcelona. I thought she was she actually quite a memorable performance in a reasonably forgettable film. I think, um, and yeah, I mean, it, it sounds interesting, but not. Amazing. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure you you sounded that convinced that I should watch it. I'm not well, sure. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, when I, when I kind of went into it, I didn't really know what to expect, and and I, I enjoyed the time that I was there. It kind of didn't. Um, it didn't give me any any kind of expectations that we were going to see something that was that was you know truly stunning. And and I put it this way: when when Woody Allen does does his stuff best you kind of feel fulfilled at, you know, at the end of it. And that's not to say that this leaves you completely unfulfilled, but um, there's not an awful lot which you get out of it at the end. There are a couple of really, really nice moments in it and a couple of scenes have played out really, really well. Um, Brendan, you're, you're probably ready to tell me you know, how, how um, the director achieves this, but it feels at times like, like it's a play. And the the rhythm of the of the dialogue and the way people move within the scene, um, even though it's edited heavily, uh, feels very very organic. It feels like it's one long scene that you're just part of, and that's that was you know that was really quite impressive. Um, mm. I'm not I'm not sure, Brendan. Have, have you seen any other films? Is this kind of typical for this director? This is the only one of her films I've not not seen, okay. um, and I've seen some of her. She did some Sex in the City and stuff as well. Um, I think so far I've liked each one less than the previous one. I thought Walking and Talking was better than Lovely and Amazing, which was better than uh, Friends and With Money. And I'm not sure how good Please and Give is going to be, but I'm definitely keen to check it out. Um, and I saw an interesting review by Mark Romanek on Twitter. He was quite bowled over by this film, actually. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm very keen to see it. And I know that it got, you know, good, good good word. And I'm intrigued by what you say, so I take this as a challenge. I shall have a look and come back to you with some form of explanation. No, no, do, because it, 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 it struck me, and I don't know what it was, um, because what the, what they were doing was they, they, were, they were talking about the physical space. They, they were in the apartment of the grandmother who's going to die, and um, uh, what actually I'm, happened... 
Go I know a way that it can be done, but I'm not going to say what it is because it might not be how it's done at all. But I'll go and have a look, and I'll uh, if I understand what you say. Mm. Okay, sure. Something, yeah, something, something technical has come to mind, but I'll have a look. Okay, no, do because I think that'd be interesting. And, and to be honest with you, I've seen far far worse films this year, and it's the kind of thing that I think um, it hasn't been given a huge push here. And I think it's the kind of film that I think you you would go and you would be surprised by because there are some really really good performances Catherine Keener of course is, is just great she's really great in everything did she um, smoke a lot in it? Uh, no not at all but she looked like she smoked a lot off screen um, <laughs> it, but the uh, the um, the sisters Rebecca Hall and Amanda Pete uh, you know just um, they were just really really good fun to be around and there's nothing obvious about the film um, other than the kind of beat you over the head with the liberal guilt of, um, of being a rich person <laughs> do you know what I mean again um, she's not doing that well again exactly um, yeah I think um, I think Re- Rebecca Hall's really interesting. Perhaps in a similar way to you, wink, wink. Thought Greta Gerwig was really interesting. <laughs> she yeah. looks like some sort of Modigliani or something. She I really think she, does. Yeah, yeah. She's quite amazing. Um, and I, I, and you know, it's a good cast. It, I, I do like this cast, so I will, I will be very keen to see it. Unfortunately, they probably won't be playing in Italy, so gonna have to wait a while, aren't I? Yeah, I think you might do. But I mean, it's for everyone else. It's, it's out. I think. Um, uh, it's out now in the in the UK, so uh, so do go check it out because I, th- I think it was out um, in May uh, in in the states, and I've got no idea how how well it's done. Um, I'm not. Yeah, I sure. think it had a pretty limited run, so it didn't really take much. But um, I was it looking about, online just now, and I was, okay. sorry, cool. I was just saying, it made about eighty five percent of its box office off of the three D screening, literally. Oh. <laughs> well, I'm sure it, it, it's, it's the kind of thing that it, it's going to play pretty well on on dvd but um i i, I would recommend it. it it doesn't kind of blow you away but it's um what it what it tries to do it does really well and there are a couple of really interesting moments so so that's my kind of recommendation for this week please give um we're going to move on now to again another kind of um unusual film to follow on this is a film that brendan you wanted to talk about because i believe it's um it's coming out i think in the uk this week at yeah, last um, yeah. This is a 2009 film, uh, Hiero. Is that how you pronounce the, uh, the oh, name? Uh, it's probably how I pronounce it. That's is it the way you're supposed to pronounce it? I don't know. I saw it Fright Fest last year, and uh, everybody take note that the Fright Fest opening and closing films have been named, and the program's going to be announced in just a couple of weeks. You're going to get your tickets. It's going to be great. <laughs> uh, I love Fright Fest. Uh, it's really good. I did. I did hear about a. I did hear about a film that's not been announced, but is supposedly playing, which is yeah. uh, a certain film. Yeah. Film, sorry? A Serbian film? Yeah. Which it um, played, I think, it played I, South by Southwest. I think year. it's uh, absolutely guaranteed from what I hear. So um, yeah. it's going to be one of the, uh, the, the the smash hits of the festival. Um, just your human centipede, if you will. They're going to put it on the post, you know that, don't you? Yeah. They, shouldn't, they, shouldn't they? But Hero played last year, and boy, oh, did it split the crowd. Um, it's not a horror film in the most obvious sense. It's one of these, uh, have I gone mad? Have I got a kid? Has the kid vanished? Is there something supernatural going on or am I not seeing the world straight or is somebody pulling the wool over my eyes like film? Mm-hmm. A bit like flight plan in a way, really, but in a completely different context. Okay. And I think people thought it was quite derivative, actually. And it isn't the most original story in the world and the resolution isn't that original either, though it isn't probably the first one or two that would come to mind isn't, isn't the correct one. But... It's a it's a film with a very very sure uh, visual eye. The director knows what he wants things to look like. The cinematography is gorgeous. 
And um, you can tell, you can tell that this was made by, by people who used to work in animation. There's a very, very clear control over, over how things look. And therefore, the atmospherics and the mood are quite pervasive. Um, at least in terms of where they come from, the aesthetics and the, the mise-en-scene and the cinematography. Uh, the pull of the narrative on the on the atmosphere is perhaps a contrary pull and uh, it lets the film down a little bit. But um, it is good. It is good. And it, I think it probably made my top ten of Fright Fest. Okay. I don't remember now. But I, I liked it. I really did like it. And Elena Anaya, who plays the, the lead part, who... Um, uh, the internet probably best know from the uh, Room in Rome trailer, you perverts. Um, she's going to be in Almodovar's new movie, and she was in uh, Sex and Lucia. She's very, very good, and uh, she was very good in this too. Okay, I'm just having a quick look at the... Um, at the the Room in Rome trailer. No, <laughs> I've not heard about that, so um, I'm sure... I'll tell you what, if I can, I'll put it up on the on the podcast post and... Just to get, just to draw the crowds in a little bit. So, um, so you saw this uh, Fright Fest last year, um, and it's taken an awful long time to come out. Now I've got no idea. Yeah, if it's I think it's out on DVD about two or three weeks after the cinema release. But people really, this is a film that's about the texture, the visual texture, in the way that you know maybe a Brothers Quay film would be, or in a certain sort of way, something like the Orphanage is actually. That's exactly just, what I was thinking. I was well, just, well I, I mentioned it because a lot of people have made that comparison, mm. and, I, and, and I think it's foolish to. to, to not tackle it it's not really that like it at all mm. but in the sense that there is a, a a wave of spanish horror of late that is very textured sure uh it fits in that vein and it's nice coming after the 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 rec sequel and the news of the next two you know rec films um yeah good spot there finding that video John. yeah thank you very much it's, uh, it's almost like that just dropped out of the ether that was really wonderful um but i was i was thinking about that because i'm i'm going to try and see rec 2 and i'm intrigued by um what the um what the cause of this uh of this sort of virus and and, and contagion is but then of course i saw uh, rec 3 and 4 are going to bookend the the rec series they're sort of going to, i think they're, they're, they're going to be shot at the same time um rec 3 is Genesis, and I think Rec Four is Apocalypse. So there's no, um, there's kind of an unambiguous title as to how it ends. But I'm really interested to see um, uh, if they are going to keep the um, the found footage thing, and if if they're not, how they how they're going to do it because that's part of the um, that's part of what made the, the certainly the first Rec film, you know, kind of give its impact. And we've we've talked about this already, but um, when I saw the trade for Rec Two. Um, your thing, Brendan, about it being like a first-person shooter was um, was the first thing that kind of brought to mind because not only did it have literally people walking with cameras and, and guns, you know, alongside exactly as you would find mm. in a mm. first person, but you also had like the little, you know, picture in picture of what their teams could see. It's almost like as if you had Alien um, or Aliens, I should say, you know, and and all it was was just you know them going around destroying aliens but mm, I'd be mm. interested to see Wreck 3 and 4 and what happens it's to it interesting though don't you think fellas that what you said there is you, you said that the word apocalypse is, is rather unambiguous well I don't know about that it's one of the misu- most misused words in film titles and, and film genre description I've ever heard people always talk about films being post-apocalyptic yeah. but they have like bands of people living in the deserts well that's not after the apocalypse then is it maybe during the apocalypse sure but after the apocalypse you'd be lucky to find a cockroach well that's the thing i'm looking forward to because i imagine resident there was resident evil apocalypse as well wasn't there and and resident evil afterlife is out this year so yeah yeah there's 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 a history with this plus plus yeah brandon's entirely right there's so many apocalyptic films that 
on apocalypse. I think uh, yeah, during I, I think it's post apocalyptic that I think a lot of people have a problem with because yeah, it's wrong, um, man. It, it is wrong. I think the the book of Eli was dystopian's maybe, better. Dystopian, yeah, I think dystopian. But the thing is, post apocalyptic is kind of easy isn't it you know it's kind of easy to kind of work out and people can draw kind of conclusions it may be wrong in terms of uh, in terms of what it actually means but that's kind of what people come in but when i when i saw rec 4 apocalypse i thought well that means that everyone's going to have it it, absolutely everyone is going to have it and it's going to be during the you know during the sort of mass contagion of, uh, of earth so that'd be quite interesting to see. anyway we kind of come completely off of uh, of hero that was um it's out i think in cinemas at the moment uh, and it may be out as brennan said in dvd in a, in a couple of, a couple of in, in, in a minute what do you reckon do you fancy it yeah sounds good i do um and i think it's because um and, and, and I know you said that it's not the, the best comparison, but I, I, I like the orphanage a lot. Um, not for necessarily um, the reasons a lot of other people liked it. I liked it because there was a complete sense of, of isolation that was taken um, from, uh, you know, the wide shots of of the beach, sort of, and and, and the cave that she kind of goes into. I was really intrigued by the location and by the kind of things that um, that the director was able to do with uh, with that. Not necessarily the kind of the boy with a sack on his head. You know, even though it being a small boy and, I, and me having a little son means that I now can't watch it because it freaks me out too much. Um, I'd be interested to kind of see, you know... Um, yeah, you wait till he puts a sack on his head one day. That was spooky. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah that's how he's going to go to his first fancy dress party and I'll freak out. Um, okay, um, we're going to move on now. So those, those three films, we kind of recommended three very different types of films uh, for you this week so at least one of those is going to appeal to you one way at right. least one of us recommended each one Jesus what's gone wrong <laughs> well that just shows <laughs> we've got a, a, a nice mix on the podcast so um, if you do see any of them and if you do like them agree disagree with what we've said then just email us we're at, uh, at mouthoff at heyyouguys.co.uk so we're always there to pick up on uh, on what you think them. do get in touch we're going to move on now to a bit of film news and the first thing we're going to talk about is actually just to kind of champion something that appeared on the internet late last night and I was waiting all day for this to hear it's the trailer uh, for Never Let Me Go which, um, if you haven't read the book, you've probably heard of the book. It was 2005, I think, um, uh, the Ishiguro novel, um, which I, I can't really talk about uh, without giving too much away, but it deals with um, a group of children uh, and then young adults out of school um, who are kind of secluded from the rest of the world, and there's a very specific purpose why they're there, and they have a very specific job to do. And it it's kind of... Um, one of the most you know soul destroying and heartfelt things that, that that you'll read certainly it was for me and when i saw the trailer um from uh, mark romanek's film which uh, came out last night it, it somehow managed to convey every single uh, you know feeling that i that i felt while i actually read the novel in those two minutes 20 seconds or whatever it was you have kerry mulligan um kira knightley and, uh, and the wonderful andrew garfield playing these characters and I have to say there is a moment in there which just completely destroyed me from the very, very first watch. And I know, Brendan, you enjoyed this one as well. Um, do you think it kind of it was a decent and effective trailer? Yeah, I don't think it's perfect, but I think it's good. I think it's good. Um, I think Adam Kimmel's cinematography looks amazing, even, you know, compressed to some sort of uh, QuickTime file, mm. which, you know, uh, they're good now, QuickTime. Uh, HD QuickTime files, you know, beautiful, but, you know, it's not going to be the same as seeing this mm. projected. Um, I think the cast look good. Um, I don't know if they've had to cut around uh, Kira Knightley. Yeah. 
um, <laughs> with a jigsaw, <laughs> like to get her out of the rest of the plank. Um, I don't know if I have to cut around Miss Knightley or not, um, but you know, she's very possibly the reason the money was forthcoming. Yeah. So uh, I owe her a bunch of flowers. Um, I think it's a good trailer. I think for someone who knows the novel, it may be very spoilerific. Mm which is a real word, uh, for people who don't know it, it may actually be bizarre and uh, full of, um, you know, non-secretors and, and things that can't be fully fully understood. Um, and that's a strange way of doing this giving away lots sort mm. of thing that trailers do, because it does give away lots, but it gives away things that don't necessarily add up. Yeah, I think well, it's more I, intriguing. I, Go on, Craig. Sorry, well, I've never read the book, and I wasn't that familiar with the book. Obviously, I'd heard of it and uh, familiar with the author, but I didn't really know a hell of a lot about the story. But watching the trailer, I, it doesn't take much to read. I mean, your description, John, I think you gave away a hell of a lot less than the trailer does. Yeah. I mean, not to not to dismiss the trailer as, as kind of giving away too many spoilers or anything, and it's not something I really worry about. But I think if you reasonably, if you think about the film. Uh, about the trailer enough it's pretty obvious what well, it's I, I, I agree i agree but but what seems to happen and what twitter is a wonderful resource a great dipstick into the oil well of humanity has proven this time <laughs> that people aren't thinking about the trailer because lots of people are like huh? <laughs> um and uh and 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 you know they're typically not because typically the trailer will spell things out for you in a way that you don't need to know anything or think about anything yeah i think that uh, the kind of impression I got was that you had these uh, th- this mystery that was kind of you had pieces of the mystery which were which were laid out in 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 sequence and it, even though it didn't kind of lead anywhere you were intrigued as to exactly what the rest of the story was you were you were kind of interested to see the rest of the world I got a real um, Handmaid's Tale vibe from from seeing it and that could be because I've um, you know I've read the both I've read both the books and I kind of must maybe link them in my mind but. Um, even though yeah, I know they, they are part of a funny little yeah. subgenre, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, in, and 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 even the film adaptation um, in the nineties of, of Handmaid's Tale, I thought, which was actually, you know, I, I thought that that, that, that was pretty good. Um, uh, I, I did get that vibe when, when when I saw this, and I actually thought, what would someone who doesn't know this um, story uh, think of this trailer? Because it it has these these people, and it kind of sets out their situation, um, and it does so quite nicely. And it, I, I don't know, for me. Um, it was probably the perfect trailer, and I I didn't know the way this was going to go. Partly because of Kira Knightley, um, partly because uh, I'm a bit Jewish when anyone tries to adapt something that I, that I had a real emotional connection to in in its like original form. But I think um, I'm now more excited for this than I am for most other films that are coming out this you, year. I tell you, I knew how it was going to go. Two little words, John. Mm-hmm. Mark Romanek. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know that you're a, you're a big, big fan. And oh, um, he's he's like I think he's probably like if I could save three filmmakers and put them on a boat, he'd be one of them. I think. Okay. I really think so. I think this man's incredible. Um, a couple of things that people have been saying about it are kind of dismissive. They're saying it's Oscar bait. They're saying that um, Kira Knightley is gonna, you know. It, is going to ruin it, but I've got a kind of a, uh, an impression that her, the, the things people don't like about Kira Knightley um, are kind of reined in from the very, very little that, we, that we've seen, and I think that it, you know that it would need to because it is these three characters and Andrew Garfield. I don't know how he does it, man, but he is just he, he conveys so much. He's the best, isn't he? Oh, he's he's the Constantine. 
yeah, well, I, I think um, he's, you know, he still looks incredibly young, and I think he's got an enormous future. And I think it's films like this which people are going to go and see because of Kerry Mulligan. They're going to see them because of, you know, of Kira Knightley. And he's going to be the one that's kind of left standing at the end of it. And if his star in any way can rise, then I'm, I'm, I'm fully behind it. So um, interesting to, to sort of, maybe we can't do it now because this is just like a news item about a trailer, but it'd be interesting to kind of talk about uh, Romanek and, and his work and the kind of films that, that we haven't seen of his, um, like, like The Wolfman and, you know, things like that, that didn't, didn't do terribly well. It would have been interesting to kind of think of, uh, of what he would have just done. Just to clarify for people, he mm-hmm. didn't actually make the version of Wolfman that you see. Let's yeah. just make that abundantly clear to, to the people who are sort of on a busy tube train at the moment. Sure. We all want that to stick. Do exactly. You know what I'm yeah, 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 totally. So, um, but um, the trailer uh, for Never Let Me Go is up on the site now. Um, do go and check it out, please, because it's such a, I, I, I had a you know, really, really good response to it. So um, that's just my I'd, personal I'd say as well, I'd say as well, though, if you are worried about spoilers, I wouldn't watch it because I, I did feel after watching it that I knew pretty much what I'm, I'm really intrigued to see if there's more but I did feel like I'd seen a lot of the film because it starts with them very young and it ends with them a fair bit older. And, and it does explain in in no uncertain terms um, exactly what the sort of central mystery is. Yeah, yeah but there's something, I mean, there's something they, inevitable in life, isn't there? And I don't just mean taxes. It's the other yeah, thing. And yeah, there's no, yeah. no point getting away from it. And I think if you know that's going to happen, mm. maybe that only just compounds your the feeling that the film's going to want you to have anyway. It is, and, and we could have a very spoiler-heavy discussion about, about, about the book, certainly, and the kind of themes that, that it raises, but if you are going to do this, and maybe this is kind of their game plan, they think that people know the story, or they think that the main thrust and the main, or the, like the beating heart of the story is not the kind of mystery of what they're doing at that school, but it's actually the relationship, which is exactly what it is. That That is the heart of the story, and um, uh, I, I I think I would agree with you, Craig. I think that if people are looking forward to it and they don't want to know too much, then fine. Because when you do see this film, it, it's going to be great anyway. We know this, and even though you've seen you know two minutes twenty seconds of it, um, any any chance to ruin your your enjoyment of it is is just not worth taking for a trailer. But um, all right, let's move on from this one because we've got a couple of other news items before we get into our uh, rip from the crypt this week. Um, let's do Oz. Let's travel to Oz because we've got um, a couple of. Uh, news items uh, about the various different um, Oz projects which are kind of going on at the moment. The big one that came out was that Sam Raimi had um, had signed on the dotted line to take control of uh, Oz the Great and Powerful, which is supposedly starring Robert Downey Jr. and focuses on the wizard uh, when he was uh, like a, a showman, I think it is, in, in, in Kansas, and he gets whisked away, and it's kind of his journey over the rainbow. Um, I I haven't heard too much more about it. I don't know if Danny Jr. is even even going to be in there. I know that he's obviously relatively busy over the next couple of uh, next couple of years. Um, but what do you, what do you guys think of, of Raimi stepping in, um, following his jettisoning of, uh, of Spider-Man Four? Craig, what do you think of this news? Um, it doesn't excite me that much, but I quite like Sam Raimi. Uh, Scott Weinberg uh, tweeted out something the other day where he said, "Name a bad Sam Raimi film," and although I would say there's some kind of... He said excluding Spider-Man 3. But um, I'd say there's some slightly weaker Sam Raimi films, but generally I quite I quite like all Sam Raimi's films. So, I mean, yeah, I'm interested. It doesn't excite me that much, to be honest. Though. What about the notion of, of, of Wizard of Oz? I, mean, I don't know if you've got any connection to that film, but are you interested in, in seeing that back on the big screen? 
Um, I'm, I'm not sure I particularly am, no. I mean, I, the original film is is interesting, but I don't really hold much uh, much kind of personal connection with the original film, even though I kind of appreciate why it's so loved. Sure. Um, so an extension of that with a new film doesn't excite me particularly, but I can understand why that would be interesting to some people and heresy to others. Well, the thing is, the, the version you're talking about is the 1939 version um, with Julie Garden, the Victor Fleming film, and that, for me, um, is a very personal film. Like, it's, I'm sure, for like, millions of people, because it's one of the first films that, that you kind of see as a kid, and I know I, I, I saw it as a kid, and it, it, was, uh, it was the moment when it went from sepia to colour that kind of blew my in my mind as like a three-year-old or however much and, and that was one of the that was one of the most important films for me as a kid um coming to love the world of of cinema so i do have a connection and i also have absolutely no problem with people going back and and um and trying new things with it because obviously that you know that that version will will still stand and i don't think it, it, it sullies it because the world is creative we only saw one one particular story out of that world so i'm kind of interested to see what sam raymond's going to make of it and uh, and who he gets to play the wizard because that's going to be an important part brendan what about you in this news well yeah i mean I, there was a moment when i was sort of watching my spider-man 2 dvd for the umpteen millionth time and i actually this the voice you know the voice in your head mm-hmm. It said to me, it said, it said, it said out loud, it said in my head, it said, Sam Romeo will follow you anywhere. Um, <laughs> because I profoundly love that film with, with, with my every fibre. Um, and um, I was just thinking, I will go wherever you go. I will go where you go, Raimi. I, I want to see what you're going to do. And um, Spider-Man 3 is nowhere nearly as bad as people say it is. And there's all sorts of reasons it was compromised, etc., etc. And they're not Raimi's fault. Mm. Um, uh, and there's some incredible stuff in that film that people don't uh, give any credit to, which makes me angry. Actually, um, it's an unloved enough film that I almost could put it on rip from the crypt every week, right? In a sense, <laughs> and sort of my case for it. But I don't care that Mitchell Kaplan's script for this film is dreadful because let's face facts, it is. It's appalling. It's not going to be by the time by the time uh, it happens because you know. This would have been one of the bargaining chips that between Saturday morning and Monday night, Raimi's people were, were, were playing with. There's going to be another draft. Everybody knows this script needs work. And it's, it's um, going to be Raimi, isn't it? Raimi's going to take a look at it with... He's going to take a look at it and he's going to get one of his boys on it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, if that's him or his brother or one of their buddies mm. or whatever, I don't know, right? But... Um, He's an incredibly talented filmmaker and in ways far beyond he gets credit for. So I just want to see this film because he's attached to it. Robert Downey Jr., yeah, I can see him as a great snake oil sort of mm. salesman. I can see him playing that, that sort of charlatan, the sort of Barnum figure in a sense, very, yeah. very well. I mean, he's obvious casting. Mm. And he is still circling it, actually, and the credibility of Raimi has, has meant that he's not completely abandoned the, the, the project, uh, even though... Mendes has. Mm. So we'll see what happens, right? But um, I'm thinking it's going to be good. This is Sam Raimi's first film in 3D. And you know what I think about 3D, fellas. So I'm yeah. excited from that point of view as well. It's going to be one of those things, isn't it? Because you've got... Um, who's behind this? Is it, is it Disney behind this? It is, yeah. It's the, it's the, Well, look, it's the new Alice in Wonderland, isn't it? It's this is take, it. a, it's take a, a director that has a certain sort of traction with a certain sort of audience... Yeah. Marry them to a project that's got a certain sort of cachet. Mm-hmm. Um, stick some stars in it. 
Um, and that can work and it cannot work. And that's been working and not working since like 1922. But I was thinking that this is following directly on from, from Alice and, and the success that that did. But also the fact is that it kind of mirrors it exactly as you said. And Robert Downey Jr. is exactly the kind of person that you could have on, front, on the front cover of the DVD, which, is, which may or may not be um, out. You know, twelve or sixteen weeks after releasing the cinema, <laughs> it would be um, it'll kind of be interesting to see it. I'm I'm, I'm really really looking forward to it. But Brendan, there was something that we, we were talking last night, and you pointed me to a particular YouTube clip. Do you want to just talk a bit about that because it's kind of like a it's not one of the Oz projects that we know about. It's not. One well, of no, the... we've known about a lot, right? There's this one with uh, Leah Michelle from mm-hmm. Glee. Okay, That's obvious. Brian Adam, yeah, yeah, uh, thing. That's happening. Josh Olsen, who wrote uh, History of Violence, has, has got a script. Um, you know, there's a bunch of them bobbling around. Perhaps the most interesting one is the one Drew Barrymore has attached yeah, yeah. to Surrender, Surrender Dorothy, yeah. um, which is um, uh, Kaufman-esque sort of take on it. Charlie Kaufman-esque mm. take in, in contemporary New York. Um, I'd like to see that, actually. That's probably second on my list. But um, very interesting. It's this clip that bubbled up, which is to be some sort of promotional film for a film of The Wizard of Oz. It features a girl who is very young and quite clearly dressed uh, like Dorothy. Mm-hmm. And, and I like that she's young. I like that she's young. What I was saying, where, as I sat watching the BBC talent show, and let's face facts, I watched about half of the episode. <laughs> I like show tunes. What are you going to do? <laughs> uh, uh, I was saying, no, you don't do it like this. You don't do it like this. And I actually said to Rachel, I said, if I was doing it, I'd have a bloody lion as the lion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'd have a girl of about 13 as Dorothy, maximum, 10 to 13. She looks younger That's in the clip you're talking about. Though. I'd say she's probably about 10. Yeah, yeah. I said, you know, 13 and then like <clears throat> 10 to 13 because I was thinking 13 is a bit old. But, but I think Dorothy's meant to be about 13, if I remember correctly, remember my band correctly. Um, and you stop motion the, uh, the Tin Man. Mm-hmm. And you, uh, you, you, uh, a puppet. A puppet, yeah, a puppet, scarecrow, yeah. Right? That's what you do. That's what you do. Give me the money, okay? I'm going to make this film. I want to do it now. But it looks and like someone may have beaten you to it, though, And it Brendan. looks like someone's got bloody close. And it's the Polish problems. I can't stand Twin Falls, Idaho. I mean, I think most of their films afterwards have been very attractive and looked really nice. Mm. But, um, I don't think they're necessarily very good storytellers. But they certainly um, know how to get the hands how to get the T's right in, in this she, clip. Well, if it is by them, we don't even know that. It's a it's a YouTube account that's only got one video on it. Mm. Was signed up for yesterday. It's just mysterious. But man, I just think um, somehow they're like got in my brain. And I have to. I mean, when uh, as soon as you, you you pointed me towards it, and this was literally about ten minutes after Never Let Me Go hit, and I was still kind of reeling from that. Um, any other kind of trailer or clip would have just you know paled in comparison to what I just seen. But um, this clip, it's about twenty seconds long, thirty seconds long. I don't know how long it is, but it's up on the site now. On, on hey, you guys, I think that it's still on YouTube. The YouTube account is. Polish Brothers Oz or something like something along those lines. It's yeah. Go, go, I mean, you can stick it below this this podcast. On, sure. On, yeah, yeah, yeah. I will do. But um, do you know what it reminded me of? What's that? It reminded me of a few years ago when I got sent test footage from Where the Wild Things Are of another little boy, not the same little boy, mm-hmm. and it was just like one unbroken shot of one of the wild things and the little boy in I think Griffin Park actually, okay. and um, it had a very similar melancholic. Mm. To it. The, the the music on this on this clip 
from whatever it is um, is uh, really, really, really sort of seductive. And it is just one shot. It's one shot of a corridor. And I, I put it in the post. It looks like it's like an abandoned museum with leaves gathered around the walls. And um, and you have this girl, and like like Brennan said, it, she, all she does is walk towards the screen, followed by this lion. And when they get to the camera, Dorothy goes off, and she kind of calls the lion over, and the lion then follows. And that's it. But the colours... The the way that it's framed, the the pacing of it is just it, it, it really really draws you in. And if if there's ever a good calling card um, for, yeah. for for these people, then, then then that is it. It's like an enigma wrapped in a puzzle, wrapped in a mystery about one of the stories that we're acutely familiar with. Mm. Exactly, and and, and, and plus, you, I mean, we were saying this last night. You've got um, so many very high profile um, Oz projects going on that it's 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 just right that there is this one that could come in and kind of undercut them all and just be um seductive is the only word that, that i can describe it because even though you only see one shot and you see one one corridor one location how much do i want the camera to follow them do you know what i mean how much do i want to see what else that you know what what else they've got and and the title card at the end is just oz there's nothing else to it so whether or not they are um, literally um, trying to get money for this, and they're, they're just you know putting this out. I, I don't know, but this is something that I'm really looking forward to kind of getting to the bottom of. So, Craig, did you see this by any chance? Yeah, I did. I, I watched it on the site. I mean, it, yeah, it, I can't really say too much more, can I? I mean, it's it is a brilliant tease. Like mm. whether it's a tease or a calling card, it works amazingly as both. You're entirely right that you just want it to go on a little bit longer uh, and you to see more of it, which is. I mean, that's the perfect there's, kind there's of tease only, uh, for it. There's one little bit of information, sorry, I want to share before we get off the subject. When the Polish brothers were approached through Facebook by, you know, just a fan, mm-hmm. they replied, Oz is based on the 1900 classic novel by Al Frank Baum. We'll obviously enter into a fantasy land like never before, as we've combined live action with CGI special effects that will blow audiences away. Oz will be hitting theatres everywhere in 2011, more info will be made available soon. It sounds like they're a long way into it. Well, that's excellent. I, I, and that, that's direct from them, right? That's not just some random Facebook. Seemingly from their Facebook. I seemingly. Love I, I, I love the idea. Is their YouTube? <laughs> I, I love the idea as well that there's all these high-profile projects and the one that could be the one worth watching and the one worth uh, that might blow them all away is just going to come out of nowhere. Mm. Um, I think that's that's really really cool, and I, I hope that's. Uh, I think the film we're about to talk about. That I hope it's the same with that one too. Okay, well that's a really nice segue. Thanks very much. For that, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, this, this is something that um, uh, the, the, uh, it's 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 it's, it's uh, film or now two films based on a, um, a hugely uh, you know um, well known novel. Um, it's the uh, it's the Don Quixote story, and we learnt this week that. In addition to Terry Gilliam's um, uh, version of it, The Man Who Killed Don Quixote, which I believe is in sort of pre-production, being developed right now with a, with a new script uh, following the sort of you know disastrous um, 2000 shoot, um, Warner Brothers are planning on doing a what they described as a swashbuckling tentpole movie um, of the uh, of the story uh, by Cervantes. And um, when I wrote this up on the um, on the site, it started out as being just a 
fairly generic news piece, um, but I realised uh, that it was incredibly biased and I was angry. I was really, really angry at, at what was being done here. And, and the title of the piece that I put on the site was, is um, uh, a Warner Brothers going to kill the man who killed Don Quixote? Because um, even though it's, it's, it's early on in, in, in development, um, the very fact that, that they are looking to have a Pirates of the Caribbean-esque take on on uh, on Don Quixote um, kind of fills me with dread. Not because I like the book. I, I have to say I didn't finish the book. I, I, I kind of really, really struggled with the, with the with the second part of it and, and kind of left it. It's one of my great unfinished novels. But um, the very fact that, that, that Gilliam and, you know, he, he, he was taking a, a, a different route um, to kind of tackle the novel and I'm sure you guys have seen Lost in the Mansion I'm sure a lot of people out there have seen that film which is a documentary that was um, made available um, it was the set uh, set documentary which actually was meant to just document the making of the film it's a kind of a DVD extra and it ended up being this kind of document of, uh, of this collapse of um, uh, of uh, the man who killed Don Quixote in 2000 so the very few glimpses we saw from that the very few like snippets of uh, footage look just fantastic and it's terry gilliam for goodness sake do you know what i mean give the man a bit of a you know uh, a bit of a break i mean he's he's come back um dr parnassus didn't didn't do huge but was fantastic i you know i had such fun with that film and i think we now need to see his version and i would just be so annoyed if you know we saw trailers pretty soon for for this kind of you know, swashbuckling with Orlando Bloom as Don Quixote in old makeup, and do you know what I mean? And I said you're going to have Chris Rock <laughs> as the voice of the horse, and do you know what I mean? It would just, it would just really, really just cut into my soul because I, I, I want to see the man who killed Don Quixote. And don't get me wrong, it's not as if we're not going to see that because there's there's a good chance it will come out. But how much of the, you know, how much is is this new film going to take the wind out of the sails of uh, of Gilliam's film? So I'm calmer now. I've come to terms with it a little bit more, but Brendan, I know that you weren't too happy with this. Do you want to give us your take on the news? Of course I'm not. You know that boat for three directors I talked about? Gilliam can have all three sheets, let's be honest. You don't get any better than that. Um, Yeah, he's got an interesting take on the man who killed Don Quixote. He had an interesting take ten years ago. Mm. He's got an even more interesting take now. He's gearing up to start shooting, I think, in September, my information says, and I don't think anyone can stop him. But... They can crowd him out of the marketplace. They can make distributors scared. They can stop people picking up on the film. Or, conversely, they might encourage distributors to pick up on the film. You don't know. But do you know what? They're making some dumbass film that's just going to shame them in comparison. Because they've they've set some very, very low standards. I mean, it's like, here's the bar for a normal film. Up here, like where my shoulder is. Up there, (laughs) just... King Kong couldn't have quite reached it. That's where Gilliam sets the bar. Down there, where Renton has a little lie-down in train spotting, that's where they've set the bar for uh, this new Don Quixote film. I mean, it's just worlds apart. They've quite explicitly stated that, you know, they're trying to make a film like Pirates of the Caribbean. Why are you trying to make a film like Pirates of the Caribbean? Um, because you liked Pirates of the Caribbean making money, that's why. That's and you, I mean, it's as simple as that. Uh, there's absolutely no genuine artistic ambition of any site, uh, sort of discussed at all in this. I've calmed down in the sense that I think it can't hurt Gilliam's film unless some financiers get cold feet. I think, actually, it might end up helping him. Sure. No, that's a really positive, um, you know, outcome, if, it, if it's going to be true. Craig, what about you? Are you uh, do you know anything about the, the Quixote versions that Gilliam was doing in, in this news? Yeah, I mean, I've obviously followed the Gilliam one for years, and uh, I was kind of excited, but trepidatious. Trepidatious is that yeah, word? That's the word. When 
I heard that um, that he was making it again because I just kind of worried for the man if it if it all went wrong again, where would he be? But um, I think hearing this news, I'm I'm fully with Brendan's last point there that I think it probably will benefit it because it's gonna. I mean, it's probably gonna be good, but it's gonna look even better when put up against a Pirates of the Caribbean Sherlock Holmes style. Um, sure. version of Don Quixote and I think one of the weird things is they've gone am I right in thinking they've gone down the route of deciding that Don Quixote's not mad and that yes, actually yes. everything he's seeing is real yes. I mean th- you know <sighs> we're, spo- we're spoiling a film that doesn't even exist but for God's sake no, but hang on a second you... about removing the point no, but that's exactly that's exactly what it was and it was at that point when I was writing this bit of news up that I thought no 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 actually stop this is going to become an opinion piece where I'm just going to rail against these people who decide to take these these, these films I don't care if Gillian wasn't even making this film you know, I would still be annoyed at, at, at the route that they're going down with this. It's completely ridiculous. Apparently, what you're going to have is you're going to have real giants, as, you know, and uh, or maybe no, you're going to have windmills morphing into giants. You can just see it now. You're going to have you know giants with stupid windmills on their heads and you know crazy things like that. If 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 there's anything that that this book is, it's you know it's it, it's about one man's delusion and um, and his kind of you know responsibilities to it and and the, and the subsequent you know realization and then and then the come down from that. Do you know what I mean? That that's that's not unusual even and, for someone who hasn't read the book. And so. as well, what what's the what's the logic behind making a Don Quixote film, a big budget one like that? I can understand with Pirates well, of the like, Caribbean. It's quite that's obvious. Based on, that's based on. Well, it, it, the, it's money, but at the same time, you know... But, no, but the, lo- the logic is this. There is an adventure story locked in there, but the mm. point is, it being locked in there, the mechanism by which it's locked, is the entire subtext of the story. Mm. In fact, it's the entire text of the story. It's it the is. point of the story. You unlock it, um, and what you've done is you've just taken a lot of tropes that meant something completely different in the original context, but you've gone, oh yeah, there's like a knight, and he's got like a psychic, people like heard his name, and he like kicks ass, and like these giants do like power windmills and he sort of like beats them up <laughs> you know it's like doing crime and punishment as like a hitman film do you know what I mean and that's I think why I'm kind of an idiot hang on mate just writing that one down what's that <laughs> I like his pitch <laughs> have you got Joel Silver's uh, email address that's it I think, like I think the, the, the thing that the thing that gets me though is what I mean though is why why Don Quixote? Because it, if you want, you know, giants and fancy elements, I can make up those in like three seconds and string them all together, and you've got as many fantasy elements. You can just pick fancy elements out of a hat. Yeah, if you're going to give up on all the things that make the book relevant, then I don't understand the choice because, of Don Quixote. Because people it's have not heard gonna, of the gonna, they haven't read the book. No, no, but yeah, exactly. Yeah, that. but how many how many kids are going to go and see Don, a Don Quixote it, film? It, because it, 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 it Don doesn't matter. Do you, do you know what it is, Craig? It's going to be a case of you see the trailer and it's going to have the line flash up on screen based on the classic novel by, and then the adults are going to say, "Oh, look, it's uh, you know, it's it's it's, it's Don Quixote. It's it's Cervantes. Therefore, it's got to be good. It's got to have an, like, an element of quality." That's all it is. That's it exactly. Then, and then, then, they're gonna get then the those game. people deserve. Then those people deserve these terrible movies that they get because that's just idiotic. And I just think it's just it doesn't make any sense in my head. And I, I get where you're coming from, John. And I think yeah, yeah. sadly you're right. But it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. And I think if I was going to market a film and I was going to pick a film, should I pick a film with an easier to say title? If I was pitched into those sort of idiots, you know? how many it's, people are going to how many people are going to read it? 
Yeah. yeah. The swashbuckling inventions of Don Q. You know it is going to be there. Donny Q. Donny Q. Exactly. Don Q. We'll relocate it to Manhattan. It'll be fantastic. We can. Oh no. It's just a. It's just. It's just a noun followed by an adjective. Donkey. Oti. Yes. Anyone can say that. <laughs> exactly. But um. Well, I mean, okay. Put it this way. We are kind of railing against it, and in some ways, we are. You know, we we are using the um, the kind of disappointment that we felt in previous films and you know previous uh, attempts by studios to bastardise, you know, great works of literature and all the rest of it. But, but there's no there's listen. It's a platform for us to say we love you, Terry, and we know you're going to win, exactly. and that's what's happening here. You always win, you always win. <laughs> so this is the unofficial like, Terry Gilliam like Appreciation happens. Society. Do you know what I mean? Anything can go wrong, and you win in yeah, the end. Exactly. You've always won. And what we're watching, were you making this film this time round, is you winning again. See, the thing now, is... it took a little bit longer than normal, but you're yeah. still winning because you always will win because you're Terry Gilliam. I feel like what I should do now <laughs> is fade up the Bee Gees with you win again on the podcast. Just kind of end that, you know. Uh, like the feed from Love through. Story, I think. Just... <laughs> yeah. Okay, let, let, let's, let's move on. You know how we feel about that. Um, and I think now is the right time. Um, to go into our rip from the crypt, we had a, a theme for our rip from the crypt this week, which is musicals. Um, every week, um, the three of us pick out a film that we think hasn't had the, you know, the right amount of love and uh, maybe obscure. It may just be one that we really like, and we think that other people may like it. So we're going to recommend one for you. Now, my one's quite conventional, and I told you guys this already. So, because I, I don't know that many musicals, um, I'll have to be honest, and I'm kind of interested to hear what you're going to say because I know that you guys have much more eclectic taste than I have. But I'm going to go first and just kind of get the convention out of the way. Um, there are many, many films um, that I love that have music in them as, as kind of a part of it, but are not necessarily musicals. I took musicals to mean um, people bursting into song uh, as if they were talking to each other. I don't know if there's like a you know, like a a definition that, that we could use that is, um, you know, more more akin to that. But um, the film, well, that I well, took... not not that one because I'm screwed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that's... Well, I, I actually sorry, just quickly, I I kind of pushed last week to suggesting that we do musicals, and one of the reasons was because I think it's a relatively loose right. description of a film, and I was intrigued to hear what you two guys picked as you know what you considered musicals as well mm. because i think it is quite a loose category so okay well i mean my my one is uh sticks kind of to the to the more traditional musical but we i think we've all got like a couple of honorable mentions which which we can talk about afterwards um uh which kind of um may show the sort of variety that that can be put under the that sort of the musical tag but my one um actually works well with the with the film that i reviewed uh, earlier on in the, in the episode um because i'm going to go for everyone says i love you by woody allen and the reason that i'm going for this film is because when i saw it i think it was 96 when it came out when i saw it um someone had told me that if you're ever feeling a bit sad a bit miserable stick on a woody allen and either it'll finish you off or you'll you know, you'll be kind of, your, your mood will be vastly improved. And when I came out of the cinema after seeing this, um, first of all, I didn't even know it was a musical because I hadn't seen any kind of trailers or anything. Um, when I came out of it, I was so uplifted by it and had such a good time in the cinema and subsequently seeing it on, you know, on, uh, on DVD that I just can't help but recommend it to as many people as possible. Um, some people just have this thing about Woody Allen, they don't like him, so they're therefore they're, they're never going to take a chance to see it. But um, Everyone Says I Love You is, as Please Give was, it's very rich. Uh, people in, in New York and, and their lives and, um, you know, and, 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 and 
various different things which happen to them, love affairs and, and not, but it has a couple of elements to it, which um, which I have to just say now, because if, if, if someone does take my advice and go and see it, then I, I really hope you enjoy it. There's Tim Roth, who plays this con this con man who's just been released from prison, and Goldie Horn in the same way that Catherine Keener in Please Give is kind of this very, very guilty, rich, um, you know, sort of upper-class uh, Manhattanite, um, takes takes him into, like under her wing to try and improve him, to try and reform him. And, of course, things don't go well, but his performance is just so funny, and the way he kind of just ploughs straight into Drew Barrymore, who's uh, Goldie Horn's daughter, is, is, is just a joy to behold. Um, the second one is um, Alan Alder, who is uh, Goldie Horn's um, uh, husband. They, they have a son who's um, very, very... Um, uh, he is, is to, in total contrast to, to the very liberal parents that, that he has. He's very Republican. A lot of the time spent um, with him and Alan Alder is um, sort of sparring off each other and, and arguing about politics. And it, it comes to the end of, uh, of the film and he, he faints. He, he just faints all of a sudden. Then it cuts immediately to a hospital where they say um, he's been, you know, he's had this really odd thing with with his brain. He's had some sort of, you know, lesion in there. And if he's been saying anything a bit odd, then that that's the cause. You know what I mean? He had something wrong with his brain. That's why he was spouting this Republican stuff, which I really, really like. That really appealed to me. Um, and also the um, the scene with Goldie Hawn and, and Woody Allen uh, in Paris uh, by the Seine. Uh, it's cliched, it's dripping in um, glam and, and, and the kind of glitter of musical, but it is so charming. And, and that scene where they have this dance, it's just fantastic and it cheers me up every single time that I see it. So that's my recommendation. Um, Everyone says I love you by Woody Allen. Guys, um, have you seen, I'm, I'm sure you must have seen it. What, what, what's your take on it? Craig, let's go with you first. Um, yeah, I have seen it. I what, Unfortunately, I watched it a bit too rushed I think I briefly lived with someone who was a Woody Allen obsessive and I took the opportunity to go through basically Woody Allen's whole filmography which he had on DVD and video and I think I watched too many in too short a space of time and a lot of them are blurred together a bit too much so I've thought ever since that I I wasted that opportunity and I I need to revisit a lot of them so um, I'm definitely going to go back and watch it but I remember really liking it at the time I really enjoyed it Uh, Oh, the kind of the fun end of the Woody Allen, I think. <laughs> it <laughs> kind is of more more enjoyable, upbeat. Exactly, Brendan. What about you? Yeah, I, I like it. Um, I wonder why it's a musical. Yeah, I mean, it, I know uh, it's sort of. I could perhaps explain it away, but I'm not convinced by the explanation. Um, I do wonder why it's a musical. Why, or, or indeed, if he decided to make a musical, then why did this story come from that? I don't mm. know which way around that, that, that came. Yeah. Um, uh, there are a few other Woody Allen films that could just as easily have been told in the, in the former. Um, the natural singing voice thing is interesting. Um, mm. Poor Drew Barrymore being the only one dubbed, I understand. Yeah, I feel that's great true. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I think she asked to be dubbed. Though. I think that wasn't something. Is, she, is that what it was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm uh, pretty sure that she said, "Don't, don't," you know, because I think she she was cast, and then she said, "I'm going to have to sing," and then she kind of freaked out. And I think because Woody Allen wanted her so much, they just agreed that she was the only person to be to be dubbed. And you can tell, unfortunately, um, as well, uh, you can hear that she's dubbed. Um, the choreography is every bit as wonky as the singing, or, or the adherence to the choreography is every bit as wonky. But isn't that charming, though? That's well, it, I mean, it kind of is. I mean, it is It isn't at first, but it is once it's established. At first, it's just, um, well, all of the conventions of the musical genre, hmm. uh, as it stands, which, which depends on the conventional understanding. There's no 
reflexive cognitive way in which we accept these things. It, it becomes a convention that we have to learn. Yeah. Musical genre, as you defined it, John, depends upon us yeah. learning some rules and deciding to accept them. Um, it's not played by those rules. You have to learn a slightly different set of rules, yeah. which is both good and bad. Um, there are benefits and, and, and detriments to, to that. Um, but after a while, it's established its own rule set. Um, definitely the second time you watch it, of course, you know what you're getting. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not the umbrellas of Cherbourg, um, you know, but it is a, a, a charming uh, a love story nonetheless. And I do like Woody Allen, and I like a lot of Woody Allen films that other people don't like. Um, but this is in the. Uh, this is probably in like the seventy fifth percentile of his work. Yeah, you see, then that's another podcast that we're going to have to talk about because I'm a Woody Allen fan as well. So, um, all right, let, let's move on. Um, Craig, let's turn to you and uh, and your musical. What did you pick for us this week? Um, I picked a film, a French film by Francois Ouzon, uh, called Eight Women or um, Wheat. Femme in uh, French. I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher a lot of French pronunciations now because I'm terrible at pronouncing French Indeed. words. Um, mostly all the cast. There are predictably eight women in this film, and they are basically eight stunning female uh, French actresses. Um, about half of them, I'd say, are kind of legendary French film actresses. Um, you have Catherine Deneuve there and Fanny Ardent and uh, Emmanuel Bert. Uh, Isabel Hooper is in it as well. She's fantastic. Um, I particularly liked uh, Ludovine Siegner as well, who's in it, and is, uh, I think she almost steals the film to an extent. Um, and it's, it's a film about eight women, and they are in a house where the patriarch of the house has been murdered. And it's kind of a classic whodunit story where they're trying to figure out who killed this guy. Um, but it's lapses in kind of moments into musical song. And the way it does it with this musical song piece is there's almost a turn to the camera and they suddenly start doing a song. Um, it's it's very deliberate and a lot about the film is very deliberate. It's It's done a lot like a play in many senses it was based on a play and uh, France Rousson really plays this up um, it opens with curtains uh, they bow at the end um, and I, it's just a beautiful film to look at and uh, it's very frothy but it's very very fun and I think the musical elements really add to that as well um, it's it, it's so so stylish to look at and I think it's kind of sumptuous kind of look is what's so enjoyable about it a lot of the time but the whodunit aspect is also really really good and uh, I must say the first time I saw it I was pretty gripped to try and decide who'd figure out who'd killed him and uh, I think there's a lot to draw you in in this film and it does it very well and I, Franz Ruzon's a director I really like and this is a film that I think is slightly different to other films that he's done but I think there are similarities in a lot of the things that he does it's interesting you say that because I mean one of the things that you talked about was the fact that it was quite um, theatrical, um, and I think it was actually a play originally, if I'm right. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm just you know I'm, I'm thinking about uh, you know musical films that have come out, especially recently like Mamma Mia, where you've got um, you know uh, play uh, that, that that is based on it. And in some ways, you can take the Mamma Mia route and 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 just go for full on theatricality. Or you can that 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 uses the musical conventions in um, in kind of a different way. I think that my one, everyone says I love you, is kind of 
um, uh, a bit less theatrical in a sense that it's it's kind of understated in the way that they just you know start singing and in some ways it's quite introverted and it is just literally what they're feeling it's not to put on a show so much it can be and it, and it is used in that but would you say that the the, the um, eight women is kind of um, theatrical and is, and is all the better for it I think it is theatrical but not in the sense that I think you're saying okay. I think the the characters the songs in the film are relevant to what's going on they sing a song about essentially it cuts to them singing a song about how they feel is for the most part the the songs um but i don't think it's in the kind of mamma mia theatrical style um that is slightly different because they're just adapting aren't they songs to kind of you know shape them into emotions and and narratives yeah i get that yeah i mean i think in this as well the the look and the way they do it is much more i think almost for melodrama i mean there's there's obviously inspiration from douglas sirk in the film and the way the colors are really rich as well and I think the theatrical element I meant is perhaps more of that sort of theatrical. Sure, theatrical. okay. Yeah. Uh, Brendan. But I think... Um, sorry. Go no, you go for it. Brendan, I was going to just say, have you, have you seen it? Are you... Yes, rubbish. Um, it's, um, it's empty. Uh, the clues don't add up. The solution is, is trite. <laughs> um, uh, there's absolutely no plausibility to the construction of any of the psychology... Um, the actresses play their roles in the most uh, simple-minded and didactic fashions. Um, it doesn't even seem fully aware of, of the, the cachet and the personal uh, carriage that some of these baggage that some of these actresses bring, brings with them. And if it does, it, it, it seems confused as to whether it's playing towards or, or against it. Um, I think the cinematography is occasionally uh, saturated to the point of flatless flatness there's there's not much uh, depth or, or or storytelling in the lighting um the costume designs very nice in the sense that the clothes are obviously all very lavish but um again uh they isolate the the film and remove uh remove it from from much storytelling um the story we learn here is that francois Ozon is very very camp um and and he wanted to make a film like um George Kukul's the woman. George Kukul's the women, yeah. but he didn't understand George Kukul's the women. <laughs> I love that we've got you on a <laughs> nice, calm night. <laughs> it's interesting you say it actually because um, you've used uh, the word cachet twice in the podcast now, and that's interesting because I caught up with the film uh, Cachet just this week, the Michael Haneke film, and um, that film has no soundtrack at all. Yeah, I love so that too. <laughs> kind of, I have to say that that's something that I'm going to need to talk about because it kind of blew my mind, and um, I can't. I, I felt like I've been through a massive ordeal, you know, after I'd seen it. And it's, it's it's almost like the anti-musical in in, in every single way. But um, all right, Brendan, let's move on to uh, to your rip from the crib. What did you pick out? Can, I, can I just pick up on a on a couple of points, Brendan? Yeah, said. please do. Please okay, do. Um, I think there. I think the film does play into who the women are and who the actresses are and I think it does I'm not sure it does some interesting things with that but it definitely adds another level to the film and I think well, no 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 no, no. I, I mean are you mistaking this for the fact that you know who these actresses are I mean what does the, what does the film how does it how does it how these I mean how does it work I mean at best you'd say that they're cast to type but aren't they cast to type in almost every film they made isn't that what it means yeah but I th- I think there are elements, there are moments, and I can't really say without spoiling it too much, but there are elements where, or sorry, the moments where they're cast to type and then they do something that's slightly against type. 
or vice versa, they're cast against type and then they do something that is too tight. And I think sometimes that switch in the film is very playful and fun to watch. And so I don't enjoyable. Have a clue what you're you... talking about, and I want you to email me some references. We don't want to spoil it like you did earlier, and I had to recut it and edit the edit the podcast. <laughs> but, I know yeah, about. I mean, I I think as well the 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 over the top sort of uh, style and what Brendan says is camp. I mean, I I find quite enjoyable in the film, and it, it's something that draw drew me into the film rather than. Put me off. But I wasn't criticising it because it was camp. I'm saying that all I learned is that he is camp. Do you know what I mean? The mm. net result of me watching this film is like, oh, Francois Ozon, he's really camp. Oh, by the way, uh, you already knew that from every other film he ever made. <laughs> I, I think it, there was an absorbent element to the visuals, though, where they, they did draw me in, whereas it, I'm not sure they did with you. Well, I'll tell you what, you two can discuss that with spoilers. Um, over email and uh, and maybe we'll get into yeah, it one day. Please, please do, Craig. Please. All right, Brendan. Let's uh, <laughs> let's let's move to you and to kind of keep this podcast to uh, to time. What's oh, your musical know. one? I don't know. Um, I've got three here. Can we do them all? You can go for it. Yeah. Um, I'm going to start with the obvious one first. I'm going to start with Richard Alfman's Forbidden Zone, which uh, is musical in the sense that it features performances by the Mystic Knights of Oingo Boingo. Do you know who the Mystic Knights of Oingo Boingo are? Um, is that Danny Elfman? Danny sure Elfman. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Danny Elfman's brother yeah, yeah. Uh, directed the film. It was co-written with Matthew Bright, who's the guy behind, like, the Freeway movies. Okay. Freeway, Freeway 2, which are these sort of, like, <laughs> exploitation of fairy tales. Um, they're, they're quite hilarious. They're, I they are, guess yeah, I would almost quite, recommend them, actually. <laughs> quite hilarious, I think, is the right term. Vincent Gallo as the witch from Hansel and Gretel. <laughs> I mean, that's just... Perfect. <laughs> um, but um, they collaborate on a film called Forbidden Zone, which is a black and white vaudeville musical fantasia, kind of in the style of Howl's a Poppin. Okay. Um, kind of in the style of a Fleischer Brothers cartoon. Um, frog-headed butlers, Hervé Villachez, topless women, uh, or, or anything exploitative. Right. Uh, Casual references to massive amounts of heroin, animated sequences, um, cut animation, uh, musical numbers, obviously. Uh, Danny Elfman playing the devil. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's just uh, something to be seen. And I saw it a screening with uh, Richard Elfman, and I was on such a high at the end. Um, I was really enjoying myself, so I very publicly outed him as a Scientologist. <laughs> that was good of you. <laughs> I'm just surfing, do you know what I mean? I was on the crest of a wave. I, and I mean, I'm, I say it glibly, but I meant it's like because I was excited, I just couldn't. I had something to say, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, it's and, good that uh, films get like that, okay. He was, but um, his son is married to Jenna Elfman. How about that, ladies and gentlemen? Um, uh, and uh, my recommendation to people is just don't expect me to describe it anymore. Just watch the trailer. Have either of you guys watched it? No, never heard it, but yeah. I'll, I'll stick a trailer on, on what the do you think podcast it, post. Right? Um, I feel like I'm just fighting back now, but um, for the sake of it, but I'm not. Uh, I was quite underwhelmed by it, to be honest. I was, I went in ready to love it. I really thought I was, it was going to be everything I'd love. Uh, maybe that was it. Maybe my expectations were too high. But I just found it a bit, yeah, a bit yeah. underwhelming. That yeah, it didn't, I mean, it didn't really do much for me. I mean, that happens. I yeah. went into uh, Eight Women expecting it to be like a functional film, but I think my expectations. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
my, my second choice is a sort of a bridge film, um, and I would like to choose um, Visit from the Incubus by Anna Biller, which is a sort of 30-minute film she made around about 2000. Okay. It's in the style of the old Technicolor Westerns. And she did everything. She edited it. She painted the sets. She made the costumes. She directed it. She stars in it. She sings in it. She's tremendous. I think her only film to be released in cinemas in the UK is Viva, which is like a feature-length version of what the world would be like if the letters in Playboy circa 1973 were real. Um, uh, You know, actual humans did these things. The whole thing looks like some sort of whiskey commercial for people with moustaches. Um, uh, but her film uh, Visit from the Incubus is a sort of uh, apes technicolour in the way that uh, Ozon I suppose threw his hat into, into, the, into the ring of being a technicolour fan or, or someone like uh, Todd Haynes right. you know, but, but there's a very 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 stocky texture to the stock that she shoots on um, not least because she was shooting in 16 mil, I believe but A Visit from the Incubus is available on a compilation DVD that she sells called This Is Anna Billa. And it's got a bunch of her shorts on it. And it's tremendous. If you go to her website, you can actually watch about, probably about a third of it, actually. Okay. Just click. Um, but there's, a, and there's another devil doing a song. And I thought of it because um, it's another devil doing a song, a bit like Danny Elfman, I suppose, really. Okay. All right, what's, um, your, what's your third and final one? Then? Okay, third and final one is uh, It's a Bikini World, Stephanie Rothman's beach party movie from the late 60s featuring Bobby Pickett. Oh, dear. Every single time you do this, Brendan, it's like you just... Uh, I have no idea what you're talking about all the time. And that's good for me because it means I can discover these. Tell us a bit more about that one. It's a Bikini World is one of the last sort of beach party movies. So there were loads of sort of... I don't know if you've seen... There's some modern-day equivalents of these would be sort of... Um, well, Psycho Beach Party was a modern-day sort of riff on them. That was an early Amy Adams film. It had Nicholas Brendan from Buffy in it. And it mm. really wasn't as good as I wanted it to be. And I really wanted to watch it. My wife got it me for Christmas, and we were like, oh, 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 oh. Uh, <laughs> oh wow. Oh, excellent. But, uh, got cool. Amy Adams' bottom in it, in fact, fans. Um, and uh, Nicholas Brendan playing a little bit. Bad boy. Um, and uh, Transvestite Cop. So good. Um, but the real beach films were, you know, they were teen exploitation movies that were set on the beach because it's quite easy to film there. Normally, have people, you know, a bit of a luau, a bit of a sing out around the campfire, Ricky Nelson type people. Everybody had impeccable hairs and, and cutie cardigans. Normally, a female protagonist. And It's Bikini World was directed by Stephanie Rothman, and she was one of the few uh, female exploitation directors, I think, to really make a dent at that time. Like, you know, Doris Wishman. Um, and uh, I think I think it's the only beach party film directed by a woman, and you can tell because it actually has a feminist subtext. Um, and it's full of brilliant musical numbers, and you've got the animals in it um, actually performing live, and you've got um, Lola Pansofa. Who did that? Um, the Castaways. The Castaways. Yeah, yeah castaways. brilliant, yeah. brilliant. That's in it as well. Um, and most of them are done at this nightclub that. Um, has this sort of stage in it that looks like a sort of a big demon mouth um and uh you know it's a bit stop start and there's some sequences in it which are obviously sort of like we got it print it move on edward sort of like on the beach sort of panning bits but the sort of set pieces are good and the overall thrust of thrust of the thing is very very different than what you'd expect from the from the genre um 
I, I think Rothman was really interesting. She regretted having been an exploitation filmmaker, but she she misunderstood. She uh, her voice would not necessarily have been so determinedly against the grain had she not been in the exploitation genre. Well, I'm just looking at the rest of her stuff. I mean, there's some, the student nurses, the velvet vampire. Student the nurses, it's good. They're like real women. They've got personalities. Excellent. Is is that an exploitation film as well in the (laughs) seventies? Excellent. With a name like the student nurses, it couldn't really be anything. There's a lot wrong with it. But But they kind of think like people. The women didn't in films. Then is she is is Stephanie Rothman still around? Is she still making stuff? Or you know what? I don't think she's making anything. I hope she's still alive. She is still alive, apparently. Yeah. I hope she's still alive. And I tell you what. I love It's a Bikini World, and I can't get it on DVD anywhere, and it's been a very long time since I saw it, and I swear, I swear to you, hand on my heart, I thought it was a legitimate DVD I'm watching, but I've never been able to track it down, so I'm starting to suspect it probably wasn't. So, you know who you are, uh, you naughty pirate, but thanks for showing it to me. <laughs> Excellent, I love it. Well, that kind of rounds off a nice uh, eclectic mix of, um, of musicals. In some ways, we've kind of covered almost everything and we've avoided the more obvious ones so um so that, that that's uh, that's kind of exactly what this is for in Rip from the crypt so um as always i'll put on trailers i'll put on as much as i can as much information so that you can go to the post and and uh, and enjoy them and of course what i'll do as well is i'll put on the um the oz uh, film um teaser that we were talking about as well because that, that was really really good fun as well um all right guys i think uh, i think we're done for, uh, What's for the, the next podcast. theme? Let's tease the next theme. <laughs> the next theme. <laughs> uh, oh, you know, I, I think the next one I'm going to pick one. We are going to do live action and animation, the mixture of that. So films that have um, live action and animation, and you can use Rock that in, in any single in, in, in any way that you <laughs> that, that you fancy. Before, actually, before we go, um, one of the things we were going to talk about on Rip from the Crypt for the musicals was uh, uh, honourable mentions because I had. Um, one which I'm not going to talk about now because that could become my grip for next week. But um, when I first started making my last, I was thinking about um, uh, you know all the Disney films, you know the uh, the Mary Poppins and the you know uh, Princess and the Frog and everything like that. That's to me is um, you know perfect um, example of of how to use you know music uh, within a film. But also you had films like Yellow Submarine where you had um, a bit like the Mamma, the Mamma Mia. You had these um, this story kind of built around these different songs. Did you guys a have any box musical? The what? Sorry, a jukebox musical. Okay, so I didn't know that was what they were called. Excellent. Um, did you guys have any honourable mentions for the musical? Well, one that came immediately to mind when I thought of it, but I thought it was perhaps too obvious, was A Dancer in the Dark, which I thought was uh, perhaps an atypical musical, but at the same time quite typical. That, that, good though, isn't it? Yeah, that's a really good pick, and, uh, and, mm. and in some ways, it's, it's it's much more intriguing. I think because we're the kind of people that we are, that we would look for things that are kind of atypical and maybe comment on the on the musical genre, you know, as uh, as well as becoming, you know, a part of it as well. What about you, Brendan? What were your honourable mentions? Uh, did you use them all up? I, well, I used, yeah, kind of. I mean, maybe American Pop, Ralph Bakshi's American Pop, or um, uh, Had No One As I Tip My Tongue But It's Gone Away Now, you know, that one. Okay. Um, but um, I don't know, I'm in a bit of a funny mood. <laughs> So I'm going on holiday tomorrow. Yes, you are. And I would like to say to my students, I know, do listen to this. Uh, well done, you've all finished your exams now, and I'm very proud of you all. Well, that's a nice way to end it. That's lovely. In fact, if if it was to stay true to the theme, you should have sung it. But um, maybe we'll do that next time we, we come up with that. There, there's still time. There's still time, Brendan. Go for it. 